well, as Pastor Randy said, it is bittersweet. It's, it's with a very heavy, heavy, heavy heart that, um, you know, we've been making this announcement that we're making this transition. Uh, we've been praying for a while, you know, my family and I, just to, to relocate. We wanted to be somewhere warmer. After the blizzard this past year, we lost power. We had no heat for two days. I'm like, yeah, that's it. It's time. Lord, do it now. Um, and we had the kids praying. I mean, it's Maya, who is my little prayer warrior. Every night she'd pray, you know, God, let us find a house and a good school and an after-school program and let Papi find a good job. And, you know, my prayer at the end of the day was um, just I would find a place that would be safe for us to live. Um, we'd get out of the place we're at right now, and I'd have a job just to be able to support my family. Um, and the Lord, you know, our hearts were in Florida, and we kept looking in central and northern Florida, and the Lord brought us all the way down to Miami. We weren't looking at Miami. We weren't considering Miami. I've been there, but I never thought I'd be raising my family there. Um, but the Lord opened up the doors, and we went out there last weekend. We visited and checked out some places to live, and um, we actually fell in love with, with the areas that we were looking at and um, are excited about the move now. But at the same time, it's heartbreaking for us because we're leaving our home you know, with, with you guys, our family, um, our real family family, biological families, uh, friends. But you know, we, Katie and I have basically spent our entire lives here, so we know we will be back, and I will definitely be back to GT and visiting. Um, the kids are happy about it, except for Maya. When I first told her we're moving, she broke down crying. I said, why are you crying? Are you going to miss family? She was like, no, I'm going to miss the church. And I'm like, that's right, baby. That's right. Tell me. But it, it shows what an impact Glad Tiding has had on my family. And, you know, we came here. We, we wanted to get plugged in. We wanted to, to be part of what Glad Tidings was about. I believe in, in the mission statement for the church. I believe in the pastors. Um, and it's been a blessing because my kids— have grown up so much. You know, Katie and I are pouring into them, but every person in this room, just by being there, by being present, by being a godly man or woman of Christ, my children have seen that, and they know what it is to look for Christians and what it is to love a Christian life. Um, yesterday I had a pain on my side, and I'm telling Katie, I, I, you know, I got this sharp pain on my side, and Maya automatically was like, Bobby, can I pray for you? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm, she starts praying for me, and I start praying right back because I believe in the prayers of children as well. So um, it is... You know, sad for us to be leaving, um, but we're excited at the same time. And, and I don't want to say goodbye because that seems so final and, you know, it's the end of the road kind of thing. But I know that, you know, it's more of a see you later because I know we'll be back. Um, that being said, back on Father's Day, um, I was supposed to have the opportunity to share with you guys this message. And the night before, um, I was home. I was on my computer. I'm typing away and pulling verses, and I'm preparing myself. I'm all excited about it because it's Father's Day. It's, it's my day. You know, my kids are going to be there for me. I was excited to actually share the word with you guys and be here at Glad Tidings. Um, I believe in the men here at the church, so just to spend that day with you guys was so exciting for me. And probably around 5, 5.30 in the evening, I'm on my computer, and I just, I got nauseous. I felt really sick. I had this sharp pain. I run to the bathroom I keep running back and forth, and I get nauseous, and, and Katie's like, are you okay? I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I feel like I'm dying. I couldn't breathe. Um, I'm 39 years old. I haven't been to the emergency room in 30 years. I don't like going to the doctors. My philosophy is five days. If I don't get better in five days, then I'll see a doctor. This was something I couldn't even wait five minutes. I literally felt like I was dying, and I started praying. I was in the bathroom on the floor, like breathing, like, Lord, please don't let me die here. I don't want my kids to walk in and see me dead by the toilet. Um, and long story short, the kids ended up going off to my in-laws. We called the pastor, said, listen, I'm not going to be able to 
to share tomorrow. We're heading to the emergency room. We went to the emergency room. Um, you know, they sat me down. I'm laying on the, uh, the bed. They're diagnosing me, doing all these tests and everything else. And we're just waiting at that point. Um, in the recovery room, there were all these curtains dividing us between us and the other patients. And there was a young girl um, who was the patient next to me. I'm guessing she was probably about 15, maybe 16. I'm not too sure of the age. I know she went to North Quincy High because um, I overheard that. And we're just, Katie and I, just sitting there being quiet because there's, you know, we're both exhausted. I'm in pain. I can't really talk, but we're listening. And the doctors are trying to talk to this girl. This girl, we believe, tried to commit suicide. She ended up cutting her wrist. Um, she drank and drank and drank and drank. She got so drunk that all of her friends are the ones who actually called the ambulance to pick her up because they felt like she was going to end up dying. And we're listening to this. We're hearing all the stories. They're asking, where's your mom? She's saying her mom went to a concert. She doesn't know where her mom is. Um, they said, well, you know, who were you at home with? She's at home with her little brother. Where's your little brother? She said, I don't know. I left him there when I went out drinking. Uh, where's your dad? I'm not too sure. They ended up paging or calling the dad. Um, he eventually showed up later that night. And we're sitting there listening, and the nurses and the doctors are talking to the girl, saying, you know, why did you do this? She's just like, I'm, I'm in pain. I wanted to hurt my family. I wanted to hurt my mom. And she's just going on and on and on. And I'm hearing the brokenness. And I turn to my wife, and I tell her, I'm like, we have to pray for that girl. And Katie's like, I'm trying to pray for you. <laughs> I'm trying to pray for that girl. And I said, no, this is, this, is, this is the message that I'm supposed to be sharing tomorrow. It's about standing in the gap. It's about interceding. And this girl is broken. She needs Christ. She doesn't need the doctors telling her anything. They brought a therapist in, and, you know, that wasn't going to help her. She, I was telling my wife, we need to pray for her. And my wife's first instinct was, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to pray for her because I'm worried about you. And then she's like, well, I'm not there mentally or spiritually. I don't know if I could even pray for her. And I was telling her that it doesn't matter, you know, how we're feeling at that moment, that we need to pray for her and trust in God. And the Scripture says that we need to intercede. And I started sharing her with her, you know, what I wanted to share with you guys this morning. But it broke my heart. Um, listening to that girl tell her story. And it was an indication or indicator of, of what our society is going through. You know, what she was going through is no different than a lot of the other kids that are in the high schools here or in our communities or even our family members and our friends. Um, she was broken. She didn't know how to deal with her brokenness, and she picked up a bottle and started drinking. She grabbed a knife and started cutting her wrist. That's the way she was trying to cope with her pain to dull the pain inside of her. She was trying to hurt herself physically. Um, we got discharged. They diagnosed me with kidney stones. Um, anybody who's ever had kidney stones, wow, yeah, ouch. Um, I really felt like I was dying. The doctor said to me, this is as close as a man will ever get to delivering a baby and feeling the pain. I said, this is why men do not have children because we cannot deal with this pain. Um, but I left, we left the hospital that day. We came back home, you know, four or five in the morning, six in the morning. And for the whole week afterwards, I kept thinking about that young lady and I kept praying for her. And I kept interceding for her. I don't even know her name. I don't know what came about her. I put her in God's hands, and I trusted that the Lord was going to do something in her life. I trusted that he was going to go into her home and make the mom to be the mom that God wants her to be and be the father that the that girl needs a father to be. Um, it, was, it was really heartbreaking for me because most of you guys know I, I have um, a lot of girls. I have five girls. Please pray for me because I have five girls. Um, I have one that's 19, one that's 18, and then my little ones that you guys all see um, downstairs. And I was thinking to myself, if my, my daughter was in that situation, I would love for a Christian to be praying for her as well. And I thought that could be my daughter. And the only reason that it's not my daughter is because the covenant of God is over my family, and I believe that God has protected my family. But it broke my heart. 
And it's just, I was laying there like, wow, Lord, you know, the, the message I'm supposed to be preaching tomorrow is about standing in the gap. It's about interceding. And in my pain, I couldn't even think about my pain anymore because all I could think about was this young lady, and I wanted to just continue praying for her. And that whole week, I prayed for her, and, and Katie and I both, you know, were touched by it, and we shared the story with a bunch of folks throughout the week because it was just so moving to us, the brokenness, you know, not, not moving like, ooh, it's inspirational, but it was more of just how heartbreaking it was and just how many more of our young people or even adults are in those same situations and, and how we need to stand in the gap for them. Some of the verses I want to share with you guys this morning. Um, one is Jeremiah 5, uh, verse 1. It says, Go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Look around and consider. Search through her squares. If you could find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive this city. Book of Ezekiel, chapter 22, verse 23 through 30 says, Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to the land, you are a land that has not been cleansed or rained on in the day of wrath. There is a conspiracy of her princes within her like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people, take treasures and precious things, and make many widows within her. Her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. They teach that there is no difference between the unclean and the clean. They shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbath, so that I am profaned among them. Her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gains. Her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions and lying divination. They say, this is what the sovereign Lord says when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it but I found no one. This chapter in Ezekiel, when I read it, it's a description of what Israel at the time was going through. They were, when you look back at the nation of, of Israel, they were God's chosen people. They have been through things that we can never imagine. And God heard their cries, heard their prayers, brought them out through a miracle, brought them into the promised land, did all these phenomenal things that we wish we could see today. And he brought them to this promised land to create this nation where they would be the examples of what a godly life is for the entire nation. God chose them. God worked with them. God wanted to be there. God loved them. And yet, in spite of all that, in spite of all that they saw, they continued to do their things their own way. They continued to be selfish. They continued to sin. And a lot of this verse starts talking about the fact that they kind of whitewashed their sins. Ah, it's not that bad. I didn't hurt anybody. I did what I did, but I didn't hurt anybody. It was, it was good. It just it felt good for me. Or I didn't really hurt her. I just hurt her a little, but I didn't kill her. You know, the, the, the people that were going through things were kind of okaying their sin. Um, they were looking past God and looking at their own desires and wanted to do things their own way. And yet God still, in his love and his compassion, his mercy, was still looking for someone. For someone to step up, someone that he could reach out to, someone who would step, stand in the gap, someone who would intercede, someone who would be an example 
that when, when people start looking for, for faith, for hope, they could turn to that one person, and that person can point them to the Father and point them to what it is to be a godly man or woman of Christ. Yet God couldn't find anybody. He looked and looked and couldn't find anyone. All he saw was just people doing their own thing, living their own way, living in their own sin. He looked for someone to build up a wall and to stand in the gap. We know that Christ stood in the gap for us. And he divided the bridge between sinful man and what it is to be close to the Father. And Christ did that for us. And yet our own sin continued to chip away where the bridge was. The Father's over there. The bridge is here. It's Christ. And even on the ledge where we stood, sin continued to chip away and chip away so that we can't even get to the bridge that Christ built for us because of our sin, our immorality, our own pleasures, our own ways of doing things, our own lustful eyes, our pride heart. All those things continue to just chip away and chip away so that we can't even get to the bridge anymore. And the Father says, I was looking for somebody to stand in the gap. I was looking for someone to build up a wall. When you think about humanity, from the beginning of time, man has always built up a wall for defense, to protect ourselves, to keep the treasured things that we want, protect them from the elements, from the rain, from the snow. And I remember back to the blizzard this past year and how we lost power, we are freezing— Thank God for the wall we have, because otherwise we would have just been exposed and probably would have died in, in the cold and snow. But we've always built walls to protect ourselves from the elements, from animals, from bugs. We did that for protection. And here, the Father's saying, I was looking for someone to build up a wall, a spiritual wall to protect his beloved, to protect his church, to protect his people. He kept looking and looking and couldn't find one person to step up and stand in the gap and, and, and build a spiritual wall. One of the things that um, people sometimes, when I've gone to other churches or friends that I've known or, or other places I've been to, I hear a lot when, when people hear about, oh, i got to do something for God, is they bring up a lot their baggage. And I can't because I got this here with me, and I did that last week, and I did that two years ago. Do you know who I am? I, I can't speak well. I can't, I can't. I'm not eloquent. I can't pray. I don't know how to pray. I love God. I like to come to church. It's, it's the thing I do every Sunday. But I can't do anything for God. I can't mobilize. I can't, I can't take action because I'm broken. I come from a broken home. I come from a situation that, did, did you know what I did? I, I can't do that. Look, look, that's, that's continuing to follow me. People keep making up all these different excuses. And what's ironic is if you really read the scriptures and you get into it, the people in the Bible— our heroes of the Bible, the people that have written some of these books, were all broken. They all had baggage. They all had drama. They all did illegal things that if they were around today, they'd be probably put in jail for. And yet God came into their lives and transformed them. He didn't care about their brokenness. He didn't care about what they did in the past. All he cared about was their heart and were they willing to follow him? Were they willing to sacrifice their old selves to follow the word of God? When you again talked about Egypt and, and Israel, when Egypt had Israel in, in chains, basically, God called out Moses. And Moses is one of those names that's just synonymous with the Bible. You hear Moses, you think of the Old Testament. But Moses had his own dirt. He killed a man, and he took off running. And he couldn't speak well. He wasn't an eloquent speaker. He wasn't somebody who could stand up and give a motivational speech. But he killed a man and he took off running. And yet that's the person that God looked for. The man who had a record. 
the man who had baggage, the man who couldn't even speak, God chose him to be his voice, to be his representative for the nation, to, to lead them. Moses, when God presented himself to him, Moses put up every excuse. I can't because this, 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 this. You know who I am? Do you know? I killed a man. I can't. Nobody's going to respect me. Nobody's going to listen to me. And yet God said, I don't care about all that stuff. What I care about is you following me. And Moses, at the end of the day, gave in. And he said, Lord, you lead, I follow. And he went back. And even then, I can imagine people, he's showing up in, in, in Egypt and, you know, the, the Israelites are there going, dude, you killed a man. Get out of here. I don't want, I don't, you know, they're going to be looking for you. And yet God supported him, backed him up. He didn't care about what people were going to say about him. He didn't care about the rules, the laws, that he just cared about following God and following his heart. And he became a, a mighty, powerful um, man for, for the, the kingdom. If right now, if Pastor Selwyn's not leaving, but if Pastor Selwyn should leave the church and the board brought another man here, another candidate to be pastor, and he had a record similar to Moses, you probably would all think that that's crazy. You would say, we don't want a man with a criminal record, or we don't want a man who can't really eloquently speak. You, you would be questioning the board. You would be questioning, is this really God? Is God in this? And yet that's what God does. He uses the things that we throw away, the things that we consider and dismiss and say that they're not important, the things that they're, they're, society considers trash. God uses that for his glory to show how he can redeem and restore people's lives. Another person in the Bible was Saul, who became Paul. He persecuted the church. He was somebody who was trying to shut down the church. He was somebody who was throwing people in jail. He was someone who actually had Christians killed. And I can only imagine at that time that a lot of the Christians, when they would hear that Paul or Saul was in town, they probably would tremble. They probably would be fearful. They would probably say, wait, 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 wait. Paul's here. Let's shut this down. We're going to worship over there. Let's get, let's get away because of the fact that they knew that Paul was somebody who was going to persecute them, that he possibly could even kill them. And yet, we all know the story. God came into Paul's life, transformed his life, made him one of the heroes of the Bible, made him someone who preached, someone who actually wrote probably close to 20% of the, the scriptures. He became a champion for Christ when he was actually trying to destroy the way, destroy Christianity. And I can imagine those early Christians as well stood there and said, I don't know. He, uh, this might be a trick. I don't know if he's the right man or not for the job. And God didn't care about that. God supported him, changed his life, transformed him, and Paul went on to become a, a I don't say a superstar, but became a big person in the Bible. Other people, just quickly, Jacob in the Old Testament, he lied, he tricked his dad. Peter was prideful. Jonah, I mean, I teach my kids all the time about Jonah and, and the big fish. He was judgmental. He wanted to destroy the people of Nineveh. He went there to preach, to teach them, to have them be redeemed, to go back to Christ or to the Father. And when they did, he got mad. He said, wait, 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 wait. They, they don't deserve forgiveness. They should be destroyed. And yet that's not what God's plans were. God's plan was to redeem them and restore them as well. And yet Jonah was judgmental. David, we read all the stories about David and what a great king he was and how the Psalms, uh, he wrote a lot of them. He was an adulterer. He had a man killed because he wanted to be with a woman. And yet these are our, our champions, people who were broken, who committed sins, people who did wrong, that if you brought them up here today, you'd probably say, I don't want that. That's it's all good. I don't need that type of person here. We'd rather have the drama-free. We'd rather have the guy who grew up in the church, who knows the scriptures. We don't want to deal with somebody who was trying to destroy. Imagine 
Paul today, trying to destroy glad tidings, trying to destroy all of you guys in your spiritual lives, and then all of a sudden comes in here and says, I'm now the pastor. God has placed me here. You would think it's, it's crazy. And sometimes the Lord does these things to show that he can do whatever he wants to do. And his purpose has always been about redemption, restoring, bringing our lives to mean something and not to have the baggage that we had before. A lot of times people talk about they're chained and they're held back. And what I find amazing is that if you look at the chain, Christ broke those chains a long time ago. And we are the ones that continue to grab both pieces of the chain and hold them together and say, but do you see the chain that's holding me down? And Christ is saying, you've already been set free. That chain was broken. You're holding on to it. You need to let go of that. This is the simplicity part of the gospel. It's about forgiveness. It's about love. It's about him coming into your life and filling that emptiness. Um, after first service, there were a couple guys here that I had an opportunity to speak with. And they were telling me about the emptiness they feel inside of them and how they struggle with a lot of the things that I was sharing with them. And I was telling them, you know, this is, this is what God came in to our lives for us, to, to wash away the old, to, to kill the old man, to make you a new creation, a new creature, and then to let the Holy Spirit dwell within so that you don't feel empty. And even when that happens, doesn't mean you're not going to have struggles every day, but the beautiful thing is the Holy Spirit is there to help you with that struggle every single day. I talk about filling in the gap. I talk about interceding. Um, 20 years ago, 21 years ago now, I'm 39, um, I committed a crime that has plagued me still to this day. Um, there's a verse in the Bible that says, for the wages of sin is death. And I've always held on to that, not because I want death, but because it's a reflection of my life. Because of one action that I did 20 years ago, it still affects me to this day. Um, the wages of sin is death doesn't always mean a physical death. It could be a spiritual death. It could be death of a dream. It could be the death of an opportunity. Um, I love my wife dearly, but if I ever cheated on her, that could be the death of my marriage. It could be the death of my children's respect for me. That would be the death that my sin caused in my life. And 21 years ago, I committed a crime. Um, I decided in my head that I was going to be big and bad and go rob a store and get my credibility with some of the friends that I was hanging with my senior year. And I figured, you know what? I'm going to show them. I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to grab a gun. I'm going to go into a store, rob it, and I'm going to show that I'm bad. And um, to this day, it still continues to haunt me. Um, now, you know, again, I'm relocating, but as I started applying for jobs, a lot of the jobs do background checks. And I was just telling my wife, I said, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get a job ever because if they do background checks and they find this situation 21 years ago, nobody's going to hire me. They're going to look on paper and say, this man is an armed robber. We don't want him working for us. His moral compass must be low. He must be, you know, garbage and trash, and he's from Roxbury. I'll forget about it. He's, he's nobody. He's nothing. Without knowing the man that I am, they would judge me based on paper. And the fact that I committed this crime will haunt me to the day that I die. But I'm, I'm grateful to God because at the end of the day, he has forgiven me, he's redeemed me, and he's given me a op new opportunity for me to live my life today. Um, just so you guys know, as a little kid, I grew up in the city of Boston, and as a little kid, I was picked on, I was nerdy, I was a little chubby, um, I went to really bad schools, lived in a really bad neighborhood in Roxbury. Uh, my mom was great because I never knew I was poor. We were so poor, I didn't know. I figured everybody lives this way. Um, I didn't know what it was like to, you know, walk home without worrying about drug dealers. I mean, I would step over people doing, you know, cocaine and crack in my hallway just to get into my apartment to do my homework. 
Um, I didn't know any different. And I figured everybody lives like this because that's just the way life is. Um, when I got into high school, I figured, you know what? I'm going to be bad. I'm going to have all the girls. I'm going to have a job. I'm going to have my car. And, you know, my senior year, that's when I started hanging out with these, this group of guys. And, and they were definitely no good. Um, this was probably around my prom time. So we're talking about maybe springtime. And I was telling the pastor the story one time. And the pastor asked me, well, were you broke? You know, why were you robbing the store? I said, no, I had money. I, I had a job. I had a car. I had my tuxedo was paid for. My limo was paid for. It was just more of, of me trying to do something to get some credibility. And so I went into a store and robbed it. As soon as I robbed the store, within 10, 15 minutes of it, I got arrested and got caught. And I remember um, going to the jail. The door's locking. I dropped to my knees, and I said, Lord, look where my sin has brought me. And look what me walking away from you has caused me. And I prayed that night. I said, Lord, I don't care what happens to me tomorrow or for the rest of my life. I just want to be entrusted in your hands. I want you to show me the way. I just want you to be in control of my life. I am so sorry. You know, I thought back when I accepted Christ at 14, I was the youth leader at my church. I knew the scriptures. I knew the Bible. I knew God. And yet I still chose this path from selfish reasons. I decided to go on this path. And all of a sudden, I'm dealing with this confrontation. During the, I spent a year going back and forth to court for my trial and hearings. And they were looking at anywhere from five to seven years, possibly. Um, I had a gun, so mandatory in Massachusetts at the time. You had to do one year for the gun. And then a bullet, you got a month for every bullet. Um, so they were looking at possibly five to seven years. And my attorney was a great guy. He was planning his, you know, trying to make sure I didn't do any jail time or whatever. And he was working with the district attorney. And after a year, they decided that they were going to send me to a boot camp that was for troubled teens at the time. So it was kind of military, but it wasn't really full military. Um, I remember going through that whole process. My youth pastor at the time told me, you have to confess your sins. The Bible says the truth will set you free. And I said to him, Steve, I understand that, but if my attorney says, say this, I'm going to go with my attorney. I'm trying to get out of jail. He said, no, 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 no. In order for you to be able to be free, you need to confess your sins. You need to tell the truth, and God will set you free. I said, all right, Steve, I, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to pray about it. Um, during that time, my father, my biological father, he was not a Christian, and he wanted me in my room just upset, remorseful, and suffering and paying penance for my sins. And I was going to church. I went back to school. I was, you know, in college. I was working. I was doing all the things that I had to do. I was going to church. And he wanted me to just to be suffering because of my sin. And I said to him, you know, I, I can't. I'm just going to move on. I'm trusting God. And his response to me was, well, God is one thing. Reality is something different. And I said to him, no, no, no. My God is my reality. And if God's in control, I can't do anything. I can't worry about it. I'm just going to trust God. And he got, he was an alcoholic. And he got really, um, vulgar with me and started using a lot of profane words and got into a really bad argument with me. And we kind of went back and forth on the phone. And, you know, I'm sitting there like, you know, how can you talk to your son that way? And he's like, oh, you're nothing. You're nobody. You'll never amount to anything. You'll end up in the projects living. You'll probably be in jail for the rest of your life. You know, you don't understand. I know I have law enforcement friends. I said, yeah, but I'm your son. You should be supporting me. Or, you know, I understand you don't have my faith, but at least, you know, be understanding. And he just continued to trash me. It destroyed our relationship. Um, he chose to not have anything with me after that. Um, my mom was a prayer warrior. My mom continued to intercede for me. My mom continued to stand in the gap for me and go to, the, and go to God and ask the church for prayer and just continue to pray and trust God. Uh, after the year was up, 
I packed up everything. My room was all set for it to be, you know, a year where I was going to be away. I went to a uh, courthouse. I said, yes, I committed this crime. I did it. I'm the guy. Um, I'm remorseful. I'm sorry. I need, you know, I just want a second chance for life. Um, the witness was there, and she said, yep, that's him. I want him away. He's dangerous. He's dangerous to society. He's going to hurt me if he comes back out. And I, I agreed to doing one year in the, um, the boot camp that they were going to offer me. So I agreed to it. My attorney agreed to it. The district attorney agreed to it. And the judge said, okay, everything was in, and started thinking about it and contemplating and just said, yeah, I don't want you there. And I'm thinking, oh, great. Now he's going to send me to real prison, and I'm going to be there forever. Um, and you got to remember, I'm 19 years old at this point. I am in college. I'm young. My whole life is ahead of me. I'm thinking I, I don't want to be in jail for five years at least or four years. And the judge says to me, there's something about you. I don't know what it is, but you need to be in society. You need to be out there. You do not belong in jail. I'm going to give you a second chance. So you can go home with your family tonight. And I sat there like, um, Okay. I was freaking out. I was thanking God at the same time because I knew it was only God that could have actually have done that and set me free and let me go home. And I remember my mom actually left the, the courtroom because she just couldn't hear the sentence and me being taken away. She didn't want to actually see it. And somebody had to run out to her and grab her and tell her, Hector, Hector, she's like, I know, I know, my, my, my baby, my, I'm the oldest. She's like, my baby, my baby. She's like, no, 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 Hector's coming. I know, I know, he's going away. He's a year, a year. And they're like, you don't understand, like, he's coming out. And at this point, I come out of the courtroom, and obviously she hugs me and everything else. Um, I've spent the last 20 years of my life trying to live up to that opportunity, trying to be the man that the judge saw that I could become. Um, I've tried to stay in church. I've tried to be a good dad. I've tried to be a good husband. I've made a lot of mistakes. I have a lot of baggage. I have a lot of dirt. There are things that God is upset with me that I've done. And other times, he's been very proud of me. And I hope there's more proud moments than bad moments. But the one thing I've always loved God, and I'm so in love with him because, is because in spite of my mistakes, in spite of my failure, in spite of this, this brokenness in my life, he's always been there. He's redeemed me. He's forgiven me. He's forgotten about the situation completely 20 years ago. I'm the only one who holds on to it in society that tries to throw it in my face. In spite of that, I've tried to become the leader that God called me to become, both here in the church, at home, in my workplace. Um, you know, my workplace, I was a manager of 17 people. I had to lead them. I had to show them, you know, how we get to a certain place. And at home with my three little girls, I mean, I, I'm— I, I'm the one they look up to. I'm the one that they're saying, okay, I have to be like dad. And what does that mean? And for them to, to look to God makes me so happy because, I mean, at least we're doing something right, Katie and I. Um, I'm so grateful to God for that. The message is, is, in its simplicity, is understand the power of standing in the gap. Understand the power of interceding. I'm not someone who intercedes often. Um, if I see a situation, I pray about it, but I'm not someone who's always on my knees praying as, inter as an interceder for, for someone or a situation. And yet the scripture calls us to stand in the gap and intercede. It's important that you guys all start looking at situations around you, that you start being with your eyes open and looking around. We have family members that are hurting. We have friends that are hurting. There's a 15 or 16-year-old girl who goes to North Quincy High who I have no idea what her name is, who is hurting, who is coming from a broken home. We 
knowing the truth, we knowing the God who can redeem and restore and forgive, need to stand in the gap. We need to start approaching the Lord and saying, Lord, I pray for this family member. I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister. I pray for my, my coworkers at work. I pray for the people in the church. After first service, I'm not trying to put people's business out there, but a lot of people just came to me broken. The people sitting next to you are in a situation where you need to stand in the gap for them. You need to intercede for them. It's, it's, it's so crucial because I, I believe one day when we get to heaven, we'll be held accountable for those opportunities that we just missed out, that we chose to just do things our own way instead of stopping and saying, you know what, I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to pray for this situation. They don't need to know. They don't need to know that you stopped and prayed that night for them or, or that as they walked away and told you whatever. There are situations at work where people just started telling me stories and, you know, drama and, and, and just crazy stuff. And I'm sitting there like, I don't know if you want to tell me this, but okay. Um, all I can tell you is I can pray. I can pray with you. And I have people that I believe came to me because that's really what they were looking for. They were looking for someone who, who truly understood what it means to be broken. And not just broken, but that knew that there was a way out or a salvation. And that's going to Christ. Standing in the gap, interceding, building a wall, those are all actions that we're called to do because the Father is looking for someone to actually do that. He's looking for you to step in. He's looking for you to build that wall. And when people come to you, it's for you to point them in the direction of the Father. Point them in the direction of of the sacrifice that Christ made. One of the verses in um, the New Testament Um, It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. I like this because it tells us we need to do something. And sometimes people, again, like I said earlier, they put up excuses. Well, I'm not a teacher. I'm not, I'm not a prayer warrior. I'm, not, I'm broken. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to talk. You know what? I'm socially challenged. Um, Katie, I, I drive her crazy because I'm not sociable. When we go out, she's to everybody and starts talking to people. I'm like, can you please just, we're in line at McDonald's. Can you just get your cheeseburger and go? And she wants to befriend everybody. And I find it very challenging for me to be that way. Um, here at the church, people think I'm sociable. I'm not. I like to go home. I like to be alone. I like to be quiet. But I know that there's a call to action. There's a call for me to be a leader. There's a call for me to, to, to share. And even though it's against my nature, the way I was raised and the way that I am, I know that Christ saved me spiritually, saved me, erased my sins, washed me of my, my past, and purified me. And gave me a second chance at life that I've been now trying to spend the last 20 years trying to show that I was worthy of that redemption. And I will never, never, ever, ever be worthy enough. But the only way I can stand here is because of his grace, because of his love, because of his compassion for me as a man. Speakers a lot of times will tell you when you speak, tell them what you're going to talk about. Tell them what it is. And then tell them again what you just told them. So I will tell you this as you guys leave and get ready to go home. Know the scriptures calling you to stand in the gap for your friends, for your family, for the folks in your own home. There's a call for you to build a spiritual wall to defend those that you love. 
there's a call to pray for the people in the church, in your family, in the community. If nothing else, pray for me and my family because we're going down to Miami. And Miami is not known for being very, very family friendly. We struggled with it because that's not where we were looking. And I prayed to God that I would have a job to take care of my family, a good job, something very similar to what I was doing now. And he opened up that door. But I never, ever imagined it would be Miami. And, and my wife and I, we went down last weekend, looked around. We actually got excited because we found some really, really beautiful neighborhoods, some really nice places we could raise our kids. So we're actually excited about now. But Miami is a place of materialism, very flashy. It's about the car. It's about the lifestyle. It's about your clothing, your image. That is so not how we are. Um, and we need to pray, continue standing in the gap for our children because we have to cover them with the blood of Christ and keep them under the covenant. And it is my job as the head of the household, as the father, as the husband, to make sure that we stay on track with the Lord. That no matter where we go, no matter what temptations may occur, that we have Christ walking with us as the center of our family's um, well-being and relationships. Um, without Christ, we will fall in a heartbeat. So if you have nothing else to pray, pray for that young girl who's at North Quincy High. Pray for me and my family because we're going to need all of the prayers. Um, I love this church. I see the, 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 the opportunity and the possibility in so many of you. And I really, really believe that a lot of you guys just sell yourselves short or you hold on to some of the baggage. And this is by no means, please don't take this as criticism. I'm saying is that you have so much potential to change the world. We just need to start trusting God and letting him do the things that he needs to do in our lives. We need to let go of the past. Forget about it. Christ has forgotten about it. We need to just move on and start worshiping him, standing in the gap for people, interceding for them, and building up a mighty spiritual wall. So when the enemy starts attacking and starts throwing darts and arrows and a missile, a bomb, whatever, that spiritual wall will stand there and protect you, protect your family, protect the church. Um, I will be forever grateful for the opportunity that I've had at this church and, and the way that you guys have embraced me and my family as, as family, as um, you know, church people, and not just, well, you know, do you know what he did? I, I've never had anybody look at me because I was Hispanic or look at me because of my, uh, of my past. Um, I've shared with people, and it's been like, you know what? God forgave you, so who am I to judge and who am I to hold on to that? So I tell you the same thing. If there's something that you've been holding on to as an excuse, let it go. Let God and just do the things that you guys have to do. Um, with that, I want to close in prayer. I, I do want to ask if anybody's in a situation where you feel like you haven't been standing in the gap, you haven't been interceding, and you really want to come to Christ and, and say, Lord, you know what? I'm sorry that I haven't done those things and I want to start doing those things. I invite you to come up to the altar. Um, I'll invite the uh, deacons to come up as well and pray for you guys. I think it's important that you be courageous enough to say, Lord, you know what? Yes, I want to intercede. I want to stand in the gap. Your scripture says I need to stand in the gap, so I want to be front and center and be courageous. I see a lot of times service is over and then people come up for prayer. Come up for prayer now. Let the whole church, let the whole body pray with you guys. Um, so I invite you guys, you know, come up. If you don't know Christ and you have this emptiness inside of you and you've been longing for, for that emptiness to be filled, I invite you guys to come up and try Christ. Um, I accepted him 25 years ago. I made a mistake, and now 20 years later, I'm still in love with God because he's given me that second chance. He's restored me. He's made me the man that I am. He's made me the leader of my home. 
and he can do the exact same thing for you guys. So don't be afraid. Come on up. Um, I do want to just start praying, and, um, and we'll start closing the, the service down as well. Father God, Lord, we thank you this morning for your word, Father God, about how you're looking for people to stand in the gap, to intercede, Father. But more importantly, Lord, that you're not looking for anybody special, Lord. You're just looking for somebody who has a humble heart and willing to seek your presence, Lord. I pray, Father God, that the people of this body, Father God, this morning, they hear this word, Father, and they be challenged by it, Lord. That they understand that regardless of whatever in their past, Father God, that's held them back, the chains that that they've continued to hold on to, Father God, that they don't need to hold on to them. That they have been set free. That you are there to redeem them, Father God. That everything has been forgotten, forgiven, and now you just want to have a relationship, Lord. I pray, Lord, that the things that continue to, to distract us, whether it be lust, whether it be hatred, whether it be pride, whether it be resentment, Lord, whatever those distractions are, Father God, Lord, we pray now that they be removed, Father God. We pray for one another, Lord, in this, this morning, Father God, that you continue to bless us, protect us, Father God. That as we start to head home, Father God, and, and start going back to work and school and whatever it is that this week has for us, Father God, that you go ahead of us and that we follow you, Lord. Let your spirit guide us. Let your spirit fill the void inside of us, Father God, and that we know that you are in control of our lives, Father God. We thank you for your mercy and your sacrifice, Lord, because even though we didn't deserve it, you still died on the cross for us, Lord, to give us that second chance, Lord. I thank you, Father God, for this opportunity to share this morning, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for that young lady that we met at the hospital, Father God, that wherever she is right now, Lord, that you be there with her, Father God. You touch her heart, Lord, that she may seek your presence. Lord, that you may touch the parents, Father God, that they may become parents that seek you, Father God, and can become a father and a mother that you've called them to be, Lord, that these, these, these kids need, Father God. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord. And as we go home now, Lord, Father God, just protect us. Allow us to arrive home safely, Father God, and all the enemy's plans that he may have for us, Father God, that they just be dismantled and destroyed, Father God. Allow your presence to go before us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you guys.